Welcome to The Missing Link, a podcast where crypto and insurance come together. I'm Dan Roberts, and my co-host is Danielle Wall-Elliott. Whether you're in crypto, traditional finance, or in need of a new podcast, The Missing Link will help you explore the vital role that insurance plays in crypto and how blockchain will disrupt insurance. Join us on our journey to find The Missing Link. Hello, everyone. This month on the Missing Link podcast, myself and Danielle are joined by the Uber traveler, Dan Thompson from Insurace, uh, our second sponsor on the podcast. He discusses his crazy one week of prep time for uh, the successful launch of Insurace, uh, how they ramped up from 20 covered protocols in the first week to around 200 today. Um, And we discuss the exciting opportunity for embedded insurance in the Web3 world. Uh, a great behind-the-scenes account of the Terra Luna depegging that Insurance had a major uh, role in uh, in in the recovery. Uh, we also had a very eye-opening missing link this month uh, with the first mention of how AI could be using blockchain in no time. Something about fridges talking to each other. I think um, computers and robots may have more use for this technology than humans. It seems. Either way, it was a great conversation. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, over to Dan, Dan, and Danielle. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, great to have uh, you all listening and to be back with another podcast. Uh, we have three Dans today, uh, myself, uh, Danielle, and then we're joined by Dan, Tom- uh, Dan Thompson. Uh, it's an exciting one again for us, uh, part two of our sponsor series. Um, another reminder, uh, a sponsor is the role that we allocate to participants that are running a program on the names infrastructure. Um, and that program is tokenized to allow new capital to come in to back the particular insurance vehicle that uh, that the sponsor is proposing. Um, so uh, we will be chatting through uh, insurance's involvement uh, and the program that, uh, that they're bringing forward and a bit about their story and uh, who knows what else. So great to have you here, uh, Dan. How are things? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, no, all good, thank you. Uh, it's been a long time for us to get to this point, right? I mean, right. we first started talking, must be just over, around two years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the detail, you know, two weeks, two years, you know. <laughs> That's well, a, was that, was that, was... I'll take a stab at introducing you, and uh, you can add in if I've missed anything here. Um, but yes, today we're joined by Dan Thompson, uh, CMO of Insurace. Um, he has a passion for the DeFi space and is leading the marketing efforts um, with the Insurace protocol and positioning it as a leading DeFi insurance provider. Um, they are focused on broader coverage, lower cost, fair and transparent governance, um, and sustainable returns, which is something I'm really passionate about as well. Um, and you're working closely with the community and the advisory board. So yeah, let me know, what did I miss? What else would you want to share with our listeners? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, we're all in startups in this space still, so I think everyone wears many, many hats and everyone gets involved in a lot of other stuff. But uh, that that pretty much covers my my official type, uh, official roles and duties day to day. And yeah, you might be one of the most well traveled people I've ever met in my uh, experience in this crypto space. You're you're always somewhere new in the world, a little like uh, Carmen San Diego. Yeah, there's this, there's this guy um, from Statefish, uh, uh, Chung is his name, and for the longest time, I was, you know, I always thought I was the, the, one of the most traveled people I, I've, I've met as well. 
well, like well, now on 103 countries. And this guy, he'd just be on, he's on like 70 flights already this year. He's, and I, you know, he's, he's just always bouncing around the world. It's, it's really amazing to watch how he actually manages to function doing it. And yeah, I mean, I, I just, I checked him the other day and he, he, we've, I've actually managed to catch up with him in the amount of countries. So I'm, I'm, you know, between me and him, I, I'm now considering my own personal sort of marathon race with him. Let's see who, who gets, gets where and when, but he's, he's just on, he's on planes every single day. Uh, yeah, you guys should go on the amazing madness. race. Team up. <laughs> <laughs> nah, too small. Doesn't doesn't go far enough. <laughs> well, we have uh, some quick questions just to warm you up and introduce you even more to our listeners here. So we have a lightning round. So quick answers. We'll ask you to rate yourself one to ten on crypto knowledge, and then follow that up with a one to ten rating on insurance knowledge. Sure. Uh, I think it's uh, very. Uh, I guess relative to this space, I mean, if you're talking about sort of like uh, crypto insurance, for example, rather than just general insurance, there's a bit of a difference there. But yeah, I think crypto knowledge, I'm probably up there with about uh, relatively high, seven and a half, maybe eight. Um, a lot more generalized, a lot less on the the, the, the detailed tech side. And I, I swear there are some people who are coming up with things the entire time in the space that. You know, and I'm, I'm attached to Twitter. I'm out there at the full sort of forefront of any alpha and information coming out. We have to be in what we're doing. But at the same time, it, you know, there are just things that come out at conferences that, and out of conversations I have day to day that are just completely new. And these guys just talk about it like it's been around for months. And it's a testament to how fast the space moves and how innovative people are here and how um, adoptive they can be as well. So even though, you know, relative to, I guess, the rest of the world where I'd be like a, you know, I guess more of a nine, uh, you know, in this space, I always feel like I'm severely lacking behind. But um, relative to insurance, my insurance knowledge, I'm not, I don't come, come from an insurance background per se. Um, so general insurance, probably, you know, lower around six, but a bit higher when it comes to DeFi insurance and understanding the needs, the requirements, the opportunities and uh, the possibilities out there and, and how we can progress this space a bit further forward. So, yeah, it's I think it's relative rel rel relative to the specific and uh, and how how narrow the field you're, you're talking about both. And what do you think is the biggest irritation in let's go with the specific crypto insurance space? Uh, I guess everyone has a, a, a gripe with uh, with adoption. I think that the uh, crypto insurance is, is is tough as a whole. I think people get into crypto because it's fun, right? You know, I I always have these conversations about things like Dogecoin or Shiba, and you know, uh, even though I'd say I'm more on the DJ level, I would really think that you know I, I don't have a problem with them. You know, for the longest time, I think I, I fought against things like Dogecoin or whatever else, and I mean, it was created as a joke. It was it was adopted as a joke, and people who were originally you know uh promoting it you knew it was a joke and everyone in the space knew it was a joke but that joke became something serious along the way and i think that's where i think that you know the space has to be fun it's it's a joke but because it's fun it it's kind of been widely adopted and people like recognize it more easily they, they see it as a fun and you know easy thing e easy to say uh, coin so that gets them into the space and if that's the sort of uh, rabbit hole or the white rabbit that Alice follows into the rabbit hole then so be it so these things all do have this but use and then in inside this inside the rabbit hole the the, the universe that is the, the cryptosphere 
it is a lot of fun. There's a lot of money to be made. There's lots of opportunities, lots of creativity, lots of you know really innovative projects and, and really incredible people to talk to, and a lot of opportunity all around. So when everything is so fun, and then insurance is kind of like the not fun part of that, right? It becomes a cost rather than a potential to earn more. I think that's the, probably the the perception of this. It, it's early stage, so you don't necessarily have as many of the traditional uh, risk, uh, well, the risk management people who come into the space uh, who would typically operate in normal markets because they would have avoided crypto up until now. Maybe that's changing. Maybe that's shifting. I think in certain markets, it definitely is. You're looking at uh, Vietnam with like an adoption of fifty percent, Venezuela with a high high percentage of adoption as well. You know, these countries around the world that. Uh, have needed crypto to fill a gap where their banks and governments haven't been there, you know, all of a sudden you've got much wider adoption and therefore a much bigger uptake in the more traditional people who are used to risk mitigation and used to risk management. So it suddenly does shift that way. But up until this point, yeah, one of the biggest gripes has been, I guess, insurance is a, is a tough aspect within a fun space because it is kind of like a a colder, more sensible decision, whereas everything else is kind of, oh, let's ape into this, uh, let's buy this monkey JPEG, let's, you know, <laughs> um, throw money at something, uh, Captain Dick Butts. And it's the most just ridiculous space, but the most fun. But that fun aspect has been what's driven the innovation in the space so far. Um, so it's about, I guess, trying to include insurance in a way into that that actually makes it fun and easy for people to adopt as well. And um, so that's been, I guess, the, the, the biggest difficulty in, in crypto insurance to date. And, you know, talking about your your travels and being more almost like a, a global citizen, what do you think is crypto's reputation uh, around the world? Uh, very good question, actually. Um, is it I guess fun it, uh, or is it something more nefarious? Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's definitely fun for people who treat it as fun or have alternative options. So you know we're obviously all from Western markets where you know we have things that work, right? We have yeah. bank transfers that work instantly. We have things like Venmo, Cash App, Revolut. We have different neo banks that do what crypto is essentially like made to do. Yes, it's an alternative, but it is just that it's an alternative to what is already there and adopted and legal and supported by governments and banks existing. But then you do take something like Venezuela, where their, their local currency, their government is just not trusted by the people. People don't even bother paying their taxes. So how and people can't get their hold on actual physical cash. Uh, the local bolivars are useless and the inflation's at 400%. So people rely on the dollar, but then they can't get the dollars in, in enough volume or easily enough. So what they're actually using to pay each other now is Binance. They actually literally will transfer Binance day to day. So it becomes a lot less fun, a lot more genuinely adopted as a system of payment across the board. And that would be going to get your haircut. That would be going to a shop, any, any, any services, sending money to your friends for whatever, you know, people are using Binance as a way of doing that. And that suddenly becomes a real world use case. Uh, I mean, that's not even talking about the obvious one about El Salvador, where it's government mandated that it has to be acceptable. So it, it does get away from the fun, but because it was fun, it gained that awareness and, and therefore people did start using it originally. So it, it can be both, it should be both. And, you know, but people do take it very, very seriously where it is a, a genuine alternative to banks and governments. Yeah, no, I've, I, I've been trying to, you know, sometimes I catch myself saying like, well, in the real world or a real world asset, and I'm trying to eliminate that real world because crypto is 
real and it is a, a real asset. It has real use case like these payment systems that you're mentioning. So yeah, for me, it's trying to get away from more of that meme community and just yeah. talk about it as like, it is here, it's here to stay. It is part of the traditional world. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been doing this whole traveling thing for well three years now, uh, nomading and traveling the world, like, and having you know a an amazing time doing so. And, and when people still chirp up and say, "Oh, you know, it's fake money. It doesn't. It, it's not real." I'm like, um, "Well, this this fake money is paying for these very real, incredible <laughs> global experiences that people would you know uh, would save up their entire life for." You know, I, and there I am paying for it all with crypto as I go. So you know that that fake, uh, you know, scam money, whatever else is paying very real things. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting dance between, between crypto, its reputation, insurance and, you know, fun or novel, or even in some cases, nonsense things, because I feel like the reputation could be framed as, uh, you know, very serious, use cases on top of nonsense technology, whereas actually it feels like there's some, you know, novel fun or nonsense things built on very serious technology. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where, you know, insurance as a use case becomes very exciting because it's, uh, you know, serious, useful, you know, an understood to some degree piece, you know, everyone interacts with insurance to some degree or car insurance, uh, or in a, in a much deeper way. Um, and it can be built on on top of this uh, this you know serious you know highly high utility uh, technology. So you know just on that, taking a few steps back, would love Dan to dive into the you know the insurance story where you where you joined, uh, you know what you brought to the table when you joined, and what insurance was up to at that time, um, and perhaps a, a nod to where it would like to be going over the years to come. Sure. Yeah, so I was um, I was on my travels at the time, and I've been loosely <laughs> involved. And still are. Uh, so I joined Insurance just over two years ago. So two years about two years, three months, April twenty twenty one, and I have been in crypto for uh, quite a while. I mean, I bought my first Bitcoin around twenty fifteen, set up a, a fund in Gibraltar for crypto index fund based out of uh, yeah, Gibraltar in about twenty seventeen. Um, but I'd actually been just full on traveling for the first the previous nine months before I joined. Um, insurance and just wanted to get back in now that you know, DeFi had kind of really taken off and saw a huge opportunity for DeFi insurance as a whole. I love the team, you know, some of the fastest uh, developers I've ever worked with and they were really, really shipping products fast at the time. So we jo I joined just before the launch and I remember this very, very well because I joined and they said, right, we're going to uh, launch insurance next week. And I was like, great, where's, where's the marketing plan? What have you got ready? And they said, oh, we thought you could do that. And I was like, great, you're giving me an entire project project's launch in a week. And that was, um, that was a very, very intense week. I, I remember that this really well. And you mentioned you might be going to uh, Peru soon for a, for a, for a personal holiday. And that, that's exactly where I was at the time. I was in, I was in Lima at the time this, this, whole, this whole thing kicked off. And yeah, so it's been... Um, it's been uh, absolutely well. We've done incredibly well. Uh, insurance is, well, is, is fo has, has been focused on uh, DeFi insurance, protecting users against smart contract risks, stable, co uh, stable coin DPEGs. So 
anything like hacks, bugs, exploits, anything that causes uh, users to lose funds uh, when operating in, in DeFi, we're trying to cover uh, to make crypto safer. And I think that goes back to my previous point about being fun. You know, it's kind of insurance in the space is, is needed. There are, it, it is perceived as risky and us coming in and actually offering these different products allows people to um, not have that perception because they, they can have that guarantee that their funds are safe. And that's what's been nice about this. So we, you know, we were building for uh, the first year of putting out uh, listings and new and new protocols going on our app as, as protected. We were growing uh, very, very fast. It took about a year for the first serious claims to come in. And building out insurance in a way that is different for a, a relatively, well, definitely a, a very, very new space, but a relatively similar way, you know, to traditional finance. DeFi is a different way of doing something that's already been already happening, right? So it's just it, all the same sort of systems are there or being recreated in in in, in the crypto and DeFi space. So being able to offer a financial service like insurance in a way that hasn't really been looked at before meant that a lot of things got streamlined very, very quick. A lot of things that are typically very, very slow in insurance, um, you know, everything from claims handling to actual sort of like listing of all and development of new products, uh, new policy development, you know, all that kind of stuff has just been so fast and amazing to be a part of because, you know, I, uh, I think I, I'm, I, I, I'm the same as any, any consumer of insurance around the world globally, historically, in that everyone's had a, a bad experience with an insurance company at some point. And so, you know, it's nice to see that and to be a part of a team building something and doing something better and different. Mm -hmm. And that's what insurance has been. It's been a way of building out this transparent um, Web3 web native insurance protocol where Every every part of what we do is transparent, from the the capital provision to the, uh, the the claims processes to the policy wordings to everything you know, and everything being completely on chain in a very well native way, um, without having to you know go through KYC or AML, but still protect users as you know to the full amount of coverage that they they've bought uh, for the policies they're buying has really you know been. A great experience for me so i think that's also which leads into where we're, where we're looking in the future is just continue to ship out products that continue to protect users in the same way continue to um innovate and change the way that insurance is done like even when we actually were and when we still are looking to get a license to regulate identity ourselves um even when we're speaking to some of the typical and traditional insurance providers uh, accountants lawyers everything else i'm seeing even now in a modern market, how antiquated some of the systems are, how slow some of the things are, whereas the Web3 solutions to so many of, the, of their processes are just literally, you know, a, a system, a click, a complete transparency of all data, just a one quick, you know, fast drawdown of actual verified data. Um, and in a decentralized way, it was just it's incredible. And there's so much potential still in those systems and in those entities and companies and big names that, you know, we all know to improve in the way they operate. And they're still very, very backwards and, and there's still a long way to go for them as you know traditional finance insurance companies, as Web2 insurance companies. Um, and sure, there's plenty of things we can improve as well, but, that's, yeah. um, but it's nice to see that what we are doing is beyond what they would even uh, imagine could be possible. Yeah, we see, um, we saw a little bit of the same actually with 
just some of the questions that you asked, particularly around reporting and access to activity, that the questions themselves were, you know, incorrect. Uh, you know, they they didn't assume the way that uh, this technology worked, and you know, sort of how often would you be able to report on X, Y, and Z? It's real time. We can give you access, and there it is, and and we can create an easy way for you to, you know, view and assess that. There are third party tools for you to view and assess that. But it's uh, it's in real time. So the original question was wrong, which shows the, you know, the the leap forward. I think uh, in some of these, you know, very unsexy pieces, <laughs> you know, regular yeah. reporting or reporting to insurance companies and, and other types of users. Um, but uh, quite significant in an industry that is that is so large and is um, you know very manual and there's a high cost uh, to doing that kind of business. I'm uh, I'm interested uh, you know before we move on what what did that week look like for you when you joined uh, or was it a total blur? You uh, <laughs> you remember remember how that went down? No, I remember everything. I remember because I, I, I spent the time the first couple days I was in Santiago in Chile. Then I went off to you know, Lima for a few days. So I remember the food very, very well. Uh, the actual, the actual work-wise, um, yeah, it was intense. So it was a lot of things to learn. I had the previous week to sort of get up to scratch with things, um, so I knew where we were and what we were building. Um, and then you know, started uh, quite a few good contacts then at the time. So you know, we, we pushed out. We did well. It was. Um, we did very well in our first our first few days of gigs. We were getting the state capital in, and so we already had some investors lined up with capital to deploy. And then the the user stuff coming in. I remember that first sale coming in, and you know everyone was ecstatic by the fact that you know we reached our, our, our minimum capital requirements. Of, mm-hmm. I think it was like ten million in the first first day, um, and then we yeah had our first sale pretty much the day afterwards with our first twenty odd protocols that we launched with. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, then it was just it was just all systems going. It just feels like the foot really hasn't come off the accelerator. Yeah, I mean, apart from after uh, after UST, which I think Daniel wants to ask me about at some point. Yeah. Um, well, I actually I'm twenty that you launched with twenty because that was going to be my question. How did you go from twenty protocols to now covering? I think the website says one forty seven. Um, how how, how that, did you I, I mean, like? Yeah. So it's it's. Our listing process is actually is, is pretty good and pretty streamlined. Um, but you know, we we've probably listed about two hundred and fifty in total. I think some have been dropped off for various reasons, either they drop below our minimum requirements or they have just, you know, had incidents or fallen off or become too risky or something's changed. So yeah, I mean we used to have a target of like listing about three a day, uh, three a day, three three a week. Um I think that the process is quite good. It's just reaching out different protocols. We can list anyone anytime, but we would prefer to have contact with the team to give better risk uh, assessments and better scores, and therefore, you know, better uh, quality of listing. But yeah, it's been a it's been a big push from the, the BD side to actually get uh, enough listings and different products out there. And um, yeah, just a, again, just a really really good team who have been pushing the products really fast. How many chains is that? So we cover 20 chains. I think it was 26 at one point, but same again, some of yeah. kind of whittled away. Wow. There really is that mass adoption piece. It's not, you know, focused on just the Ethereum network. You guys are really supporting, yeah, that full crypto ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, that was gone. So, sorry, Dan, just, you know, out of interest to, you know, there's a listing process to, um, you know, put these various, you know, exchanges up and protocols up. But how 
maybe more in the traditional sense do you think about distribution you know the the end insured getting protection you know do you rely on you know outsourcing that to uh, the protocols that are listed and the you know interested parties around them promoting the message or uh, you know is there a, a you know a broker network or an incentive you know scheme for individuals to you know to pull in insureds how do you think about distribution in sort of framed as how the traditional world would talk about distribution yeah. the distribution is tough um definitely very very tough uh, we we're under uh, quite frustrating advertising guidelines on pretty much every platform between crypto web3 and insurance i mean yeah. some one, one of those three will will trigger some sort of like regulatory guidelines what we can and can't do um so that that makes advertising directly uh, pretty tough uh, in terms of paid adverts in terms of we do offer a nice referral program that works quite well. So our partners, the, the listings can actually link back to us. Um, I personally subscribe to this philosophy that don't rely on partners to do your selling for you. I think you as a, a, a team, as a protocol have to be the ones there pushing it. So we're, you know, we, as, as you guys know, we, you know, I'm always around the world. I'm, I'm at a lot of the different conferences and events. Our teams are always at different events, but we're trying to be there, meet people, push, push our, our services out. You know, we're in, thousands different groups we to jump into the communities we do uh everything from amas um uh, podcast spaces pretty much any type of shared media we will produce videos on, on their behalf because we won't rely on uh, them to do it for us um but the reality is the the best uh, the best thing we found for distribution has really been uh direct integration so if you think in traditional insurance the uh like opt-in for a flight insurance when you when you book a flight that kind of level of um, easy access, one-click opt-in, is where we've seen the biggest uptake of and, and success, uh, just through sheer simplicity of uh, opting in. So at the moment, you know, otherwise people have to, you know, say they're staking for a particular yield or stake into a particular protocol, and they come to our app separately, and that's just too many clicks and, and two different UIs to like right. deal with. Whereas if, and we have that in a couple of instances and we're trying to do more, if there's a very simple flow process where we have a widget on someone else's app or it's directly integrated into their actual process, like mm -hmm. our recent uh, partnership with uh, LeFi, the, the bridge and DEX aggregator, where it's a simple opt-in for insurance coverage, all the prices put live for you, everything else is there already. So that has shown the biggest um, uptake in, in in, in adoption and distribution for us because it's just i think making it as simple and easy as possible um and it's actually where i see the, the future of the space going is just either direct integration um into operations and mm -hmm. i think that will happen at some point or a you know an opt-in for users as part of a process um in the space instead of having to go to a, a separate entity um, yeah. which again it, it just speaks back to efficiency in the space and that's just one of the things that's been missing so far yeah, I'm excited by the opportunity for embedded insurance. You could you could also imagine a, a number of opt-in uh, options by by various insurance providers at you know point of sale, uh, or point of trade, or you know point of activity. Um, so uh, very exciting, but uh, happy to help in in any distribution ways. So there you go, listeners, go and check out. I'm curious. <laughs> this isn't an advertising message, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, excited. But, but it's true though, because I, I think if you if that integration and then you combine that with the Web three technology and the ability to 
um, you know, view things live, view your cover live, view your policy live. And for anyone to be able to prove that someone's got got insurance policy, you take like, you know, car insurance is a great and simple and well-known one, you know, being able to prove that someone has their insurance immediately on chain um, and verifiable by anyone anytime is, would be a significant improvement to the existing um, insurance system that, that is there in most countries for, for car insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of uninsured drivers, there's plenty of uninsured vehicles out there. Being able to see, you know, which ones are, you know, insured and through uh, and, uh, a DeFi system would be incredible. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Danielle, over to you. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I mean, I've given a few of the presentations and I constantly talk about this idea of, or, or on insurance, I constantly talk about this idea of embedded insurance and, you know, it's nice to see this protocols adopting it, but I want to see a Coinbase, a Binance, you know, I want to see just a massive custodian that's like, as soon as you sign up, bam, you, you, so that, that's where my, my gears were going of like, you know, I love that we can offer this in this DeFi space. We know the DeFi space is wholly, you know, uninsured. Um, It's like 1% probably is like the last number I've, I've seen. I would imagine it hasn't grown uh, Mm -hmm. too significantly since then, but the DeFi space is for me, it's like can be a little more trusted. So I want I want to see it more in the custodian space. I want to see it more in the CeFi space and in crypto as well. So I hope we we move that way. I think I think that's the next step is you know, getting back to traditional type of insurance has to go through the sort of middle grounds first, which from a web three perspective is the centralized exchanges, um, before you start heading back to traditional finance, then into the real world, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, we've actually been working on um, a, a side project called the CDIS, the Crypto Deposit Insurance Scheme. That's not, not quite ready yet, but it's the same sort of idea. It's basically like FDIC for right. crypto um, to be adopted by people like Coinbase or Binance. But it comes with a whole load of extra regulatory issues and yeah. um, and they would need it to be you know, a licensed regulated entity, which could be the one we're setting up. It could be a different one, but there's... Yeah, the, the, we, we are going to work on a solution for that, but that is a huge extra p- bit that can be done. You know, you're looking at something like FTX last year, and sure there are DeFi coverages available for something like FTX. We have cover available on Binance and uh, and Coinbase as they are, but the reality is something like an FDIC for crypto for an FTX type solution where you know the big players it, it hurts them, but you know they, they recover and make it back. The, the biggest problem is that it, it hurts, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of small new crypto investors who yeah. are just getting started in the space. And, you know, like I said earlier, like the things like centralized exchanges, Shiba, Doge are the gateways to the crypto. To crypto. And if those, those, those gateways are the ones that fail, you're just going to scare a whole load of people off who will then go off and badmouth crypto for the rest of their life because they've lost, you know, their small amount they put into it. In the small businesses, the startups, the people that, you know, were convinced because of their investors to to trust one centralized entity. That was what I felt hurt the industry the most. You see just that fallout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the the secondary fallout, things like BlockFi and everything else that came afterwards as well. And I remember when I was was actually sat in in San Francisco with a friend of mine and he hadn't realized that BlockFi, he, he thought his funds were safe and they were... And then I was like, no, 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 Block, BlockFi is 
gonna be they got all their fans locked in FTX, it's not gonna be good. And I literally had to watch it. It was a, it was a, I remember it was horrifying. I was watching it on a Friday night, having his face going from having a really nice night out to like the realization that his like savings had all just been wiped out by the same thing. It was just like it was just tough. Well, and and speaking of the black eyes, maybe this is a good time to go into the you know Terra Luna DPEG. You know, for me, obviously it's it's hard for those investors. It's hard for people that lost their savings and and all that. For me, it was uh, to see how insurance handled the aftermath. To see that you guys moved so quickly to cover 173 submitted claims, and uh, I think it was around 11 million dollars paid out to those policyholders. You know it. It at least told me that we were in the right space. We were moving in the right direction. We're giving them a higher level of maturity to the space. But can you tell us maybe just some behind the scenes, like, yeah, where were you? What how, what did your face do? You know, when you saw it happening, and and how how did you guys? What was the sentiment uh, with the team? Well, I, I can tell you, it personally ruined a trip to Bali for me. That was that's for sure. I was. Um... No, we, we kind of saw it coming a few days before. Um, I think we're, we're very lucky in the fact that we are all attached to Twitter and other, other information sources that we do hear rumors about things all the time. And, you know, so we, 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 we do get a heads up on things that could be potential problems a few days early. Um, and that these, uh, that one in FTX. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's what so everyone says that. And then I'm like, no, 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 because there, for every one that is something, yeah. there are 20 that aren't, right? So yeah. otherwise you'd, you'd be getting a text from me like every, every, every other day, which is fine. I'll, I'll get your text every other day. But the reality is, you know, we, it's just not viable. I, I, everyone always says that, you know, when I say, oh yeah, we, 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 we kind of heard about it a couple of days early, but the reality is, yeah, it's, um, it's not the case for 99% of the things we hear about. Um, but yeah, so FF, uh, no, uh, UST Terra and Luna. So when that started going, we you know we, we realized that we had it was our biggest selling product at the time. I think it was also our, our very easy way of explaining uh, what we do. So at the time, you know, uh, Anchor was offering twenty percent on staked UST, um, pretty much like fixed uh, rate of nineteen twenty percent or whatever it was, and. So we would offer smart contracts insurance for around two and a half, three percent on that, with stablecoin DPEG insurance for about one to one and a half percent. So pretty much, you know, if if someone's staking their assets in at, and getting twenty percent, the cost of them over insurance would be four percent. So they'd still be netting sixteen percent, which right now in the middle of a bear market sounds fantastic. Back then it sounded relatively small compared to the, the hundreds or the, the thousands of percents you could get on like Olympus or whatever else was popping up around that time. So the yeah when that when that happened and that started turning we realized it was one of our best-selling products not only across um, just direct stablecoin DPEG but as bundles as well for Anchor and UST or Mirror or um, I can't remember the other ones so it was sold as a few bundles and that was uh, yeah so when that started going we had basically had to respond like you know the community started panicking everyone's panicking across the space so the um, Ops team went into overdrive, just trying to do post-mortems, figure out what's actually happened. There was a huge amount of debate between stakers and claimants, between um, the whole community about whether or not the market was manipulated or whether or not it's actually a claimable event for whatever the cause was. Um, and I think that's still not exactly determined. Um, so whether it was an economic attack, or whether it was actually a you know a fully qualified um, DPEG, uh, people weren't sure if it was going to go back up or not. Um, whether it was too big to fail, whether the entire mechanism was just flawed. 
from the start. But you know, at the other day it, it did drop down to what like 0.0 0, 0.05 on the dollar. So um, it definitely debugged. So we we learned we learned a lot of the hard way from that. Um, I was on I think Discord, Telegram, Twitter, every every message just trying to like deal with community. Um, you know, making sure the people who were claiming were getting their claims processed in the right way, making sure, and then stakers who were panicking because as part of the protocol's operations, the, the funds get locked up for the amount that gets paid out, and it was a significant chunk of capital. So they they were all panicking about losing their money. So you know, we had pretty much everything. Every, every lots of people being supportive, but you know, the vast majority panicking about losing money one way or the other. And, you know, that was as tough and stressful to deal with. And, you know, so I was up super early until super late, just, just always on it, just having to deal with all the messages ourselves, being able to sort of a key point of contact. Um, and you know, I used to, way back when I used to uh, run and own uh, bars and cocktail bars, and, you know, I thought I'd dealt with the, the most stressful people in my life back then. So I'm relatively <laughs> calm, but man, this, this really, this, this really pushed that a bit. Um, no, so it was, the release it was, came, which is... To actually process. <laughs> so did you have happy people after that? So then, yeah. So then, then we finally got to the end of it. Uh, no, obviously not people, you know, yeah, sure. You had some um, happy people who got paid out, but then we've, we're still dealing with stakers who are still upset about the fact that they, they lost, you know, people who haven't checked their positions in like a year or just chirped up recently saying, Oh, why have I lost, you know, X percent of my, my staked assets. Um, so we still have to deal with it. it. It's a great use case for the space. It's great to show that it worked. Yeah. It did show that some of our, our risk management in-house was off. Um, and it's always easier to say with hindsight, right? Because, you know, you, you look at it now and you say, oh, yeah, we, we were oversold on particular products and whatnot. But, you know, everything was transparent the entire time. Anyone who was buying up or staking with us could have checked that anytime and spotted it or flagged it up. But the reality is it, it just wasn't either perceived as risky enough or, and I guess that was the same for whole, the whole space, right? Um, which is why it was so spectacularly um, bad. Um, but the the community, you know, anyone, you know, that's nice about doing things transparently. They, we could have done, but obviously people don't see that that way all they see is you know, what they've lost. So we, we've learned a lot from that. It was a very hard lesson and we had to take us a couple of months to then, you know, stop everything, look at our policies, look at our processes, our systems, the way we handle claims and um, complaints and everything really and just, you know, improve everything for going forward. So now our risk management levels are a lot uh, more aligned and everything is, is better managed. But yeah, it was just, it was unfortunate. It was good and bad. Obviously, you know, we needed a use case to show that DeFi insurance works, yeah. but having our largest product be the one that was that use case and by a, by a good margin um, was probably not the easiest thing for us to, to deal with, but we dealt with it. And yeah, I mean, compared to traditional insurance for a new product, a risky product, you know, the whole process took about uh, a month, maybe six weeks tops to mm -hmm. actually claims process and pay out was all done quickly. And if you, if you took that same tip, type of uh, coverage and payout in the traditional market, I mean, you'd be, especially at the tune of, you know, it was 11.7 million, you know, that'd be dragged out in, in courts of litigation for months, if not, if not years. So to actually be a part of that, actually see how well it can work was fantastic. And to know how much we can do going forward is amazing. But unfortunately, you know, since then, the, the market's been in a, in a bit of a tough, tough pickle in DeFi. So it's, it's not, you know, you, you expect it to be like, oh, turbocharge the insurance, everyone's going to buy it up now. 
But the reality is that all the whole DeFi is taking quite a big hit since then. I think TVL in DeFi is down from like 330 billion down to about 40 billion, um, sitting with a few OGs. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's been the toughest part of this. And, you know, but we know we're well positioned for the next run. That's always a highlight for me to, to, to a shining star in the crypto insurance space. So. Yeah, and interesting to get some of the you know the the behind the scenes. I mean, you know, if someone if there was a loss event and someone felt that they had protection with insurers, what is the process for them to go and you know submit a claim and get a payout now uh, that you've gone through that kind of learning? Yeah, so it's, it's uh, super quick. So we've got um, we adjusted like the information they give us to start with. So it's not for KYC, but we have like nominated wallets. You know, the policy wording's being changed to uh, remove any ambiguity. I mean, we had a few uh, satellite cases where they didn't quite fit um, the policy before, but they. Uh, so we we've uh, basically removed any of the questions as well as you know, like I said, these huge debates over what what qualifies, what doesn't qualify that we had helped us to shape the products um, uh, for the updates going forward. So now in the event of a claim, the user can just go through, submit some evidence. We will help them on any channel that they feel comfortable with, um, you know, in terms of actually submitting the claim. And then it just seamlessly goes to an advisory, the advisory board still puts together a report based on Excel information. Um, The advisory board themselves have been improved in terms of the experts that are on it. The report then goes to the uh, short token holders who, who who vote, and that whole process has been sped up, made much more simple. And I think the important bit was just removing some of the ambiguity, and also just removing like the risk stakers. I think if they're you know if they're risking more than like five percent on a particular um, uh, particular payout, then then they start to like panic. But you know by keeping it below certain thresholds, it actually allows us and actually understanding as well, like you know through the amount of claims and the amount of uh, hacks that have happened in the last couple of years, you see that, you know, most, a lot of the time things get paid back by the hacker or, you know, maybe not all wallets are affected. So by taking aggregate of that, you, you understand that even a, even with a, a big hack on a big protocol, there's still not going to be the full amount of your capacity that's been sold out for insurance uh, that gets claimed for. Even UST, we had 22 million worth of active covers at the time but uh, the twelve million, the eleven point seven that was claimed was actually just because the the other um, ten million people had either sold their UST before or they traded in now. They've been using arbitrage in that period, so you know, or they just had some old cover that they hadn't cancelled at the time. So you know, there's a big understanding that there's probably in an event maximum about sixty percent of the total capacity sold that's actually going to get claimed for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Do you, uh, you know, very quick one, uh, last one for me is just, do you have a, a holy grail example of where uh, this could go? You know, a, a, a holy grail insurance solution end to end. Obviously, we're very excited to be partnering with you as a as a sponsor. You know, the composability of different um, different protocols and insurance offerings in the space, you know, the opportunity there is so high. You know, do you, do you have a, a vision of uh, what an, an optimal solution could look like? Yeah, I think there's there's been this idea of a wallet-based insurance that's been around for a while. You know, partnering with the likes of a, a MetaMask, a Trust Wallet, um, etc., where 
you could have that direct sort of feeling pop up of an insurance option no matter what you interact with with crypto do you want to you know cover the crypto you're holding in your wallet do you want to cover your DeFi states or the nft that you're buying you know the direct integration with that where it does cover pretty much everything in crypto the biggest problem we face is capacity the ability to actually have enough capital backing it in some form or another um and that's again what leads nicely into the partnership here uh, uh to be able to offer significant coverage for enough users because at the moment that's the biggest hold up in DeFi insurance is, is the is the the low level of capacity you know our podcast is called the missing link we're constantly trying to uncover with our guest what is missing in this mass crypto adoption so we'll put it to you what's the missing link for crypto in general what people are missing is uh confidence and i think i think it's just part of a cycle right you know these we talk about insurance and defense insurance as if it's like just come around but you know it's a few thousand year old industry um that's just been developing and building up slowly 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 and we're, we're trying to recreate it within the last like three years i mean it's um <laughs> you know it's slightly ambitious for us the uh crypto space is in a very similar way is what, 13 13 14 years old now um so still extremely young in terms of recreating uh, entire financial markets and and systems and so i think that the the big adoption and actually this is probably my uh, my personal take i've got a huge personal interest in, in ai as well have been I, I wrote two books about like digital immortality years ago and uh, very philosophical but uh, I think we, we everyone sees crypto as this, this fun thing for now, but the, the big thing that is kind of still missing um, from most people's view is that, you know, we're, we're creating these AIs for various different things and AIs when they become more independent. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to say sentient because it's a very difficult way to express AI at this, at this point, but as they become more independent, um, something like crypto solves their ability to transact with one another very, very easily. Whereas, if, you know, an independent AI can't necessarily access or create a bank account. Um, I mean, it could if it, if it just hacked the system, but it why would it need to when it's already got crypto? So I think people, you know, everyone assumes that crypto is there as a um, a tool for us, but I think it's going to be, become more of a tool for the uh, wealth transfer between different AI systems that are employed by people. I think that's going to be the uh, a massive catalyst to the next, um, one of the, well, one of the next bull runs at least. You remind me of a, a shirt I have and it's a refrigerator and it's like on the blockchain, no one knows you're a fridge. And so exactly this, it's like <laughs> internet of things, all the machines we can, it's not just for us humans. We really can, uh, you know, expand it to this. I, I don't even, it's not the global world, but the technology world. So. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, we're all slaves to the machines, and then that's the missing link achieved <laughs> and uh, the best use case for blockchain. Um, yeah, Dan, thanks so much for the discussion. Uh, you know, insurance is obviously a an age-old industry, and uh, yeah, you guys have been applying it in a very modern way to this modern ecosystem in, in a totally appropriate and exciting way. So excited for our collaboration. Uh, great to have you on as a, as a sp upcoming sponsor to Names, and thanks for the discussion. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been great. See you around the world. We're one step closer to finding the missing link. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to come back next month. Until then, we are the missing link.